Father, thank you so much for a great, uh, a great year, 2016, all that you accomplished. Thank you for that. Thank you that you have, you are a God of hope. You're the living God. And you help us to make it through another day and to live life the way you designed it. 2017 is, uh, it's another challenge for us to walk and follow you daily, walk with you, and to be people who, who love you with all our hearts and love each other as you've commanded, loving one another. God, please bless us this morning. This is so important. Please, it is all far beyond me, and I need you, and I need them. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Oxford Dictionary published this. This is probably old news to you guys. It's been out for quite a, quite a, few, quite a while now. But the word of the year for 2016 is post-truth. Post-truth, which is defined as relating to or denoting circumstances in which objective facts are less influential in shaping public opinion than appeals to emotion and personal belief. Post-truth. We are a culture that is now post-truth in the thinking paradigm, in, in the, the model in the brain, and how we perceive life, our worldview. We are setting aside objective facts. One plus one is two. Well, forget it. That's objective. Let's set it aside. What I want to know is how do numbers make me feel? Does that make sense? Not do they add up. I want to know how numbers make me feel. It's called post-truth. Never before do you see anything like this uh, than on Facebook. And just the stuff about Barack Obama, the stuff about Hillary Clinton, the stuff about Donald Trump, and I could go on and on and on and on and pick whether it's political or non-political, we are more bent out of shape for emotional reasons than we are about objective categorical truth. It's like truth doesn't matter. What really matters is feeling. And it's like we as a nation, we're shutting down the front lobes and we're not thinking critically about things, but instead we're just midbrain dominant people. Emotions are really controlling and running our lives. So let's look at this. Confessing truth in a post-truth culture. This is from 1 Timothy 3. Uh, let me give you a little bit of backstory so you'll appreciate this. Paul is writing to a young, not a, Paul, Timothy is not a pastor. You need to remember that. You've got the Apostle Paul, big time power player, right? And below Paul, you have sub-apostolic authorities. He's like a, an associate apostle. Timothy is a power player in a hierarchy of authority. He's not a local pastor. Timothy is an apostle and he is sent by Paul to go to Ephesus and work with pastors. Pastors on the ground, on the local level, in this particular church, to find out who those men are, to train them, equip them, and lead them to get the church at Ephesus set up and fully functioning. Timothy is not a pastor. He's an apostle. And he works for Paul. All right, And Paul is instructing him in 1 Timothy on how to do it. How to be a good... Uh, you know, sub-apostolic authority. So he's advising him on how to do ministry in Ephesus, which was a religious and political power city in the Greco-Roman world. It, was, uh, it had in, uh, in, its, in its borders one of the known wonders of the world, a temple to Artemis, a female deity that most likely was a meteorite that hit the ground and the area was found and it had bulbous protrusions all over the meteor and they said, ah, that's a female. This is from a female goddess. 
And so they took the meteorite, they enshrined it, they built a giant temple around it, and people could go and, and worship Artemis and, and look at this meteor. All right, And she became a very powerful goddess in the region. In fact, it was a driving part of the economy. Ephesus also had one of the largest banks in the known world. It was a power city. Can you, we're talking New York. We're talking New York, Chicago, L.A., San Francisco. We're talking a power city in the Greco-Roman world. At this time, Paul is, is it's, the political tension is so great, Paul is nearing an, an arrest event. He was arrested multiple times, possibly the arrest that leads to his execution. An emperor named Nero is in power. Does that ring a bell? Anybody know anything about Nero? Sure. This guy was bad news. Real bad. Uh, it is reported that he burned a section of the city of Rome, blamed it on the Christians, used that to launch terrible persecution, using Christians as human candles uh, in some of his palatial patio areas. Uh, I could go on and on, and it's horrifically gross what he did to Christians and blame them. But actually, uh, the truth is he was burning that section of the city down because he wanted to clear the area to build one of his massive palatial estates. And he thought it appropriate to blame Christians for that. So this is, this is what's going on. And Paul says this to Timothy. I'm writing these things to you, hoping to come to you before long. But in case I'm delayed, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. By common confession, great is the mystery of godliness. He who was revealed in the flesh was vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Let's pick it apart. There's some things here that are so important to see. First of all, look at uh, verse 15. Paul knows he may be delayed. He knows there's trouble. He said, I want to talk to you about how to conduct yourself in the household of God. Conduct means the way you live your life. Okay? Now remember, we have been influenced by post-truth far more than you realize. To the point, it's more important that you feel emotionally affirmed than it is that you behave well. Emotional affirmation is a far more valuable commodity than a clear conscience. So I'm talking to you guys about how to conduct yourself in the household of God. The word household here, uh, um, Andrea, oikos, oikos for house, all right? Now in the Greco-Roman world, when you talk about the oikos, you're talking about the place where the eldest male rules. The eldest male is the paterfamilias. And he has the full rule of authority. And in fact, in the Greco-Roman world, if a guy, if the senior male converts to a religion, guess what everybody in the house has to do? Convert to the same religion. I don't know, is that way in Thailand? Is, is that kind of honor, shame, pressure in Thailand? Everybody's Buddhist. So. Everybody's Buddhist. But, but if a Buddhist converted to Christianity, if a senior male converted to Christianity and he takes his faith home, would the household feel pressure to convert because the eldest male is? Okay, it's not quite that, that strong. Boy, it was in Paul's day. If you come home and you're now a Christian, everybody's pressured. You see that in Acts where the Philippian jailers converted, and it says, and he and all his oikos were baptized. All his household were baptized. Mm -hmm. Make sense? Yeah. Lots of pressure to do that. 
Okay? So when he talks about the household of God, guess who he's talking about? He's talking about us. We are part of the oikos, the household of God. Now that being the case, if we're, if we're members of his household, do you think we need to pay attention to dad? You think that's Paul's understanding? Oh yeah. What dad believes, we believe. What dad says, we say. Dad's ethics are our ethics. Dad's conducts are conduct. This is what Paul is talking about. And then he says this, he describes it. This household of God is the church of the living God. Not the church of the building, not a church of the denomination, but a church of the living God. And then look how he describes it. Uh, and this is where you're going to get this post-truth problem. The pillar and support of the truth. The church of the living God is the pillar and support of the truth. What does that make you? Who are you? If, if you're a Christian. If you're part of the oikos. What? You're the church. And you function like a what? Like a pillar. Like a support. John, these are construction terms. Paul, when Paul says pillar, stulos, probably Paul's got in his mind the great Solomonic temple. There were two famous, massive pillars that were part of the great temple. One was named Joachim and the other Boaz. They named these pillars, sacred pillars in the temple, right? Pillars that hold up massive amounts of weight. Of weight. Makes sense? Support, very, very difficult to define that, John. Uh, some say it means protect. That's probably true. But it really means to support, kind of buttress, and, and really support the pillar is probably what Paul has in mind. So we, as members of God's oikos, we are like pillars and we are like support structures that hold up truth. And then he says this, by common confession, great is the mystery of godliness. Let's talk about the Greek word confession, so important. All right, I want you to work with me. Quick word study, you ready? You guys are smart people, and you don't check your brains out when you come to Christ Church. You know that, right? The front lobes are supposed to light up when you come here. What does the word logic mean? Colby, you're my favorite student. Logic, what is it? Um, piecing together things that make sense. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of what's commonsensical. One plus one is two. It's logical. You know, I had one orange, I had another, now I have two oranges. Real simple. Look at that. We are so on the same page. That was a prophetic utterance in the church right there. There it was. Um, it's just commonsensical when you use your brain, your eyes, your hands, all the common senses of the body. You go like, wow, that, that makes sense. All right. Uh, another, another Muslim radical. I, I'm assuming it's a Muslim radical, I should say. In Istanbul, uh, goes into a nightclub and 39 are dead at, at this point. I don't know how many more are, are in, injured. It is logical that that person be arrested and they be incarcerated. Why? Because they're dangerous. And if anybody knows about this, Brian Pope does, knows, it's dangerous, it's wrong, it's unethical to let a danger, dangerous person loose because more people are going to get hurt. So you restrain dangerous people. It's logical to do that. Logic. Now, if you add another word in front of logic, you get some real cool words like Biology, biology or zoology, right? The study of life, all right? Now, in Greek, the word logic or logos means to think critically. It means to use your brain. 
It also means to speak while using your brain. Okay? So, for example, if you're a male and you're married and your wife serves this casserole and your brain thinks some thoughts and your mouth opens up and says, how come you can't make it like mom used to make it? Probably shouldn't have said that, right? So sometimes words that come out of our mouth, not so logical, you know? And, and <laughs> she said, and why are you sleeping on the couch tonight? That's a good response to that kind of a statement, right? We say things. Logos means to speak things, but it's assumed that you're going to speak logical things. You're just going to use your brain, right? You got it. Let's add one more. Homo. What does homo mean? Andrea, she's a Greek, she's an amazing Greek lady. It means same. All right? Guess what? You ready? The word confession is two Greek words. Hama lagas. What does it mean? The same words. So we have, as God's oikos, his household, we have something in common. Guy, we say the same things that God says. Carla says the same things about Jesus that I say about Jesus. John says the very same things about Jesus that you say about Jesus. We have a common confession. A common hama lagos. By the way, that word is the identical word found in 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins, faithful and just is he to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So it sounds like this. If we say the same things about our sin that God says about our sins, that's called repentance and confession. Have you ever had a child who steals the cookies, eats a bunch of cookies, gets caught, and then lies about it? And he's got... He's got smudges of Hershey chocolate on the face, and there's crumbs. We have one that confessing right back there. And crumbs all over the floor. It's Colby, it's your kid. And there's crumbs all over the floor, and you say, did you steal those cookies and eat them? And they go, no, uh-uh. And he lies, and you go, as a parent, you say, that's a lie. Why won't you tell the truth? I'm not lying. I'm protecting myself. <laughs> Saying two different things about the same thing. That's not a confession. We're saying something very, very different. When you hama lagos, you say the same words. Common confession. So by common confession, this is something that the church has shared. This is, these are convictions that the church held dear. These are things that we believe are worth fighting for. By common confession, great is this mystery of godliness. And then he talks about Jesus. This is what we confess. He was revealed in the flesh. Vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up into glory. You ready? I want you to, I want you to fire up the front lobes. You need to think. You can't see this in English, but in Greek, every one of those six words ends with the, with the sound of the. Everyone ends with a the. All right? Now you tell me, why? Why would Paul do that? Everyone end, has that ending. Why? Memorization. Absolutely. Memorization. What else? There's another clue. We're thinking forensically now. Get, get inside his head. Why would Paul do that? Easy to memorize or easier to memorize for sure. Make a cool song later. <laughs> <laughs> Colby is hogging all the glory. He's actually onto something. Yeah. 
This is a clue. This is a literary clue that we are, uh, Stephen, we may be dealing with a hymn. That this is hymnic. That you're actually looking at the lyrics that would have been sung in worship among the earliest followers of Jesus. Does it feel creedal? You know what it means for it to be a creed? It almost feels creedal. It's creedal-like and it's hymn-like. All right. You and I are reading something very, very sacred that the earliest followers of Jesus in a church with far less people than are here right now, meeting in a home, very, very small, singing or chanting these very six words. They're all indicative verbs, by the way, which means they really do believe this. These are fact statements, not feeling statements, fact statements. All right, now let's look at this. What do you guys think? Revealed, vindicated, seen, proclaimed, believed, taken. What, that sounds like it's telling a story. You see a storyline, a plot line? What do you see? What's the first one? Revealed, what's that? What's that? His birth, yeah, his birth. The incarnation, he was revealed. Born as a baby by the Virgin Mary, right? What do you think it's vindicated? Vindicated in the spirit, what's that? Who said baptism? Yeah, most likely we say this is a baptism. What happened when Jesus came out of the water when he was baptized? What? Spirit came down in the form of a dove, lit on him, and a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son in whom I will, will please. Vindicated by the spirit. Makes sense. What's seen by angels? Temptation. Temptation. What else? Transfiguration. Transfiguration. One more. Who was at the tomb when he, during the resurrection? Okay. Proclaimed among the nations. What happened at Pentecost? Believed on in the world. Isn't that me and you? Not us? Wasn't he taken up into glory? You see it? Now, you and I have a couple of choices right now. We can say that Jesus is one of many options. <laughs> He's one of many options, and you need to find your own path, and you need to work it out so that you feel good about this stuff. Or we can say, Paul was saying, No, I will die for this core conviction. Paul lived in a post-truth world. He lived in a world where politics and religion were not separated at all. Not at all. Did you see in the news that a federal judge in Texas issued a stay on a ruling that would make it illegal for a surgeon, for a medical doctor, to not provide care for a transgender person? Because of the abuse that would follow that law and what's going on? With, with the secular religious uh, or secular political pressure that's going on in our culture. And this federal judge realized, hey, something's, we're crossing a line here. 
in this post-truth world that we lived in where feelings are far more influential and powerful than the facts. Far more influential. We've got to make some choices. Did Jesus say, I am the way, the truth, and the life? No one comes to the Father but by me? Did he mean it or was he just a confused guy? Poor fella, he should have gone to seminary. And he would have learned you can't say those things because that's very exclusive. You know, awfully high-hatting of you, Jesus, to say that. Was he mentally ill? Was he mean? Was he a narcissist? I am the way, the truth, and life. Nobody gets to God except through me. Is that a narcissist statement? Or was he really serious? That he is the way, that he is the bread of life. He is the water of life. He has the words of life. When you're post-truth, anything's up for grabs. Believe what you want. Just be nice, please. <laughs> then we, here we are, we're in Ephesus. We're back at Corinth. Finding ourselves right back around the same side. So, <clears throat> okay. So if we are in God's oikos, his house, his words become our words. We hama lagos. We say the same words that he says. His ethics are our ethics. As the, as the members of the church, we function as pillars and support structures. We really hold up truth. That's kind of scary. Anybody want to be in San Francisco at a restaurant that's run by gays? And someone asks you a pointed question about what, what you think about gays. You want to give a biblical answer in that context? Knowing what they will do? And they can be very aggressive, by the way, in those situations. It would be easy to make a scene and make an example out of you. What do you do when someone wants you to bake a cake for something that's a core conviction, again, uh, that you're against that? What do you do? You just kind of bow to post-truth political pressure and just, you know, I'm just here to bake cakes. I don't care who uses them or who buys them. I'm just here to make cakes. That's all, that's all it's about. When do you stand up in a post-truth world where feelings are more powerful than truth? Where do you stand up? What about the students that are here? The pressure that they're under to make sure they don't offend anybody. Everybody's got to find your path. Is there objective, categorical truth? Or there isn't. There is or there isn't. You know? Does God word, God's word matter? Makes sense. I know this is strong this morning. I know that. Wouldn't it be great if we started the new year committing to truth? Wouldn't that be cool? Committing to truth, categorical truth. True convictions as opposed to a Facebook kind of approach to life where it's going to be based on feelings. It's all emotive. By the way, in case you don't know this, we are post-truth because of very technical, very skilled operant conditioning modalities. Treatment modalities, marketing schemes that literally address how you feel because if they can get to how you feel, they'll change your spending patterns. It is driving American culture. Alter how you feel, they can literally shape the economy. Where you spend your money, how you spend your money. Okay. From the movies you see, to the clothes you wear, everything. Emotionally driven. 
not fact, factually driven. So you're the gifted body of Christ. Christ Church, you're part of the house, the family of God. You have ownership here. There will be people logging on. We're going to listen to what you say this morning, and it's going to matter. Are we a pillar in support of the truth? If so, what does that look like? How do we do it? What are some practical ways that we live and behave? Because we are committed to being truthful people, people based on the truth. This is our common chama lagos, our common confession. How do we then live if we understood the full weight and burden of what Paul is talking about and that you're actually reading a bit of a hymn, a creedal hymn? tendency or we see in others a tendency to overshare to try and shock the socks off of people by the just the breadth and depth and maybe import of the things that that we share with people and that there's a tendency to to buy into this us versus them. <coughs> Hope and I have talked about this. The well, I'm going to put this on Facebook because I really want to make you mad. I want to see if you'll take the bait, or I just want to stir the pot. You know, and that's not that's not where Christ lives. He can function in that spot. The Spirit can function in any spot you take it. That's why Jesus ascended to the abyss. That's why he did that. But just, just taking your Christianity and wearing it like brass knuckles and walking up to somebody and punching them in the face with it as hard as you can doesn't make you a pillar or support of the truth. It makes you obnoxious and easily, easily dismissed. And, and there's a balance in there. And I'm not saying I've got it right, but... The pillar in support of the truth can be kind. Jesus was never unkind to people who needed that spirit of truth. Mm. So That's good. Where, That's good, Colby. Go. Jesus, there you go. And if we're a part of the household, we use his words, don't we? He knew when to say, child, your faith has made you well. And he knew when to say... You, you are a viper. By the way, we're talking like full-on cussing, getting to the bottom of the barrel. You're a viper. You're a snake. You're a whitewashed tomb. You are, your father is Satan. Mm-hmm. Bottom of the barrel, people. <laughs> Talk about visceral, inflammatory language. There it is. And our Savior did it, and he did the right thing. But it was at the right time. Yeah. By the way, where do we get truth? Fox News, fictitious <laughs> overreactions of extremism? Did you catch that? I'm so crafty. (laughs) Fictitious overreactions of extremism or CNN, the Clinton News Network. (laughs) Where do you go? Where do you go to get the truth? Where do you go? Where do you go? Which truth? (laughs) The real truth. (laughs) The truth truth. (laughs) Yeah. 
seeing and hearing about the truth is is really cool, and, and especially with the church being able to be the pillar of truth. Because yeah, what I've found in life is when you inject truth into a situation, it reveals a lot of things. It sobers mm-hmm. up things, and um, the word of God is like a lamp unto our feet and light unto our path. And so, when situations arise, we should as always, count to ten or whatever, but then just think of the truths that God has put in our heart, and it will lead us in the right path to God in that regard. Mm. That is so good, Philip. Thank you. Thank you. Everybody turn to John 17. John 17. And I want you to, to memorize this, or if your parents approve, get a tattoo of this. Or something like that. <laughs> Jan is a lifelong member of Christ Church, by the way. She has a Christ Church tattoo. She is the coolest person. Um, someone read with your indoor voice, John seventeen seventeen. What do you want? <laughs> that, that's a good question. John seventeen seventeen. Somebody read that. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy truth, thy word is truth. Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. What is truth? Do you get it from Fox? Do you get it from CNN, ABC, BBC? Where do you get it? Now, I know, James, BBC does a way better job than the American. I know, I know, I know. BBC's cool. Uh, Justin Allison loves the BBC, by the way. Uh, But where do you go to get truth? John, remember one of your four best friends? Remember Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? John said, hey, Christ, he's recording Christ as confessing. My father, and I'm a part of his oikos, I'm going to be a part of his business. Your word is truth. And truth is what makes us holy. If we spend virtually no time in God's word, and we try to derive truth, from CNN, ABC, Fox News, Facebook, wherever we get our feelings, you know, tweaked on, we are going to be extremely confused people. Hama Lagos, saying the same words about things that God would say. It's a, it's a chore. It, you've got to really fire up the front lobes, and we're busy, tired people, and we just want to feel good. Give me a quick affirmation. Let's go. I want to get on with life. You know, and let's let's jump on Netflix. I don't want to think. I don't want to think. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So what happens when we are ashamed of truth and we stay silent when we should speak up? What happens? Chris, what happens when there's something that's social injustice and we should speak up and we don't? What what is that called? It's called injustice and it's condoning injustice. Our silence gives us away. We end up making the problem worse. 
because we won't speak up. What does Proverbs say about those who cannot protect themselves? If you do not speak up, if you do not raise your voice for those who are being led to the slaughter, there's a time to get the gloves on and step in the ring. <coughs> Makes sense. Cooper. What's your name? Colby. Colby. Um, Colby was talking about this, and I feel like it really, it's just really easy to, to think, man, we've got the truth, and they're all about emotion, so let's come hit them with it. I think it was, I think it was brilliant what you said about um, it's not about hitting them with that. And you said, you know, it's well, anyway, I need to stop talking. First Peter 3.15, uh, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. Yeah. yeah. It's so important. So important. No one wants to hear you if you back them into a corner and tell them they don't listen to truth. Yeah. They, they want to hear you when you love them. Yeah. And yeah. then you share with them something that they really yeah. do want. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's millions and millions of us all, you know, they're all around us everywhere around the world. They want hope. They want answers. But they, but they need help Another getting aspect, it. Oh, but no, go ahead, Ed. Another aspect of pillars in doing their job is they're steady. Very steady, very stable, yeah. They don't, they're not moving around. Emotions are waves, they're winds, they, they come and go. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, there, there are, I think there are a lot of people in, in our society particularly who, they may be all about something right now, but a year from now, maybe a completely different thing. Yeah. You know, or, or a week from now. Because the news, something else happened on the news, or somebody tweeted some whatever, you know, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden all the emotions went somewhere else. Mm-hmm. But the steadiness, you know, I think over time people begin to recognize this person doesn't, this is the person who's still the steady rock, the one who didn't change, who mm-hmm. still believes what they said, and, mm-hmm. you know. You know, I, I, this is a weird example, perhaps, but five years ago, the, the big thing, the news about you know about housing and all this kind of stuff was one of the problems with the housing market was the millennials aren't buying houses. They're moving into cities and staying in urban areas, and you know, that's where they're going. Mm-hmm. The millennials started having babies, and now they're buying up houses in the suburbs because life changed. But there was a, there's some fundamental aspects of, of, of life that are actually steady, and that the, that 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 trend that whatever you know actually we want to have that this is important to do, yeah. and so that steadiness I think mm-hmm. is, is a is a you know this being steady about your truth, being steady about being that gentle illustration, that gentle. But firm, but mm-hmm. strong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so good. Yeah. Mm, that is solid. Boy, that's good stuff. Guy? Say, I can point you to the way, to the truth. 
Mm. And so uh, I think if we reread that, God, the pillar of support of Jesus Christ who came in the flesh. Yeah. And it changes the whole thing. And, and I think that we're having a conversation about sort of information and knowledge of the truth and the truth, which I think it, it's, it's a both thing. It's both and, and yes. Jesus walked in this room. We wouldn't keep talking about him as if he's some kind of theological treaty or something. Yeah, yeah. And and I, I have conversations with people, and you do the apologetic thing, and you talk, and and you try to explain, and you use scripture, and you use reason, and all of this, and the person continues to just say no, no, no. And I come to the place where I'm like, he's Jesus. The last thing he said was, "I'll be with you always." So he's here. He's a, a person still. And I just have to say, I can't take you any further than what I can testify to. Yes. Uh, he, he asked him. He is there. And, and I, I don't know, I guess I just, I feel like sometimes, and I'm not saying that we're doing this necessarily, but I know my own tendency is that in this information age, because knowledge is power, that, that we forget that he's alive and well. Yes. And, and yes. He, is, he is searching for those who will follow him. And yes. So it's not just about intellect. It's not just about knowledge. It's so much more than that. Yeah. And yeah. It, that seems even crazier than just if truth were just written down as a philosophy. The idea that this invisible God man still uh, is alive and well. Yes. So we can just say he is because we know when I. When I surrendered my life to him, I didn't go, well, I'm going to check that theological box. I'm going to check that one. I'm going to check that one. I met the Lamb of God. Yeah. He was slain for me. Yeah, absolutely. Amen. Absolutely. And he came into me and he changed me. Yeah, yeah. Forever. Yeah. And so we have to talk about truth in terms of what we understand and our knowledge. But, man, sometimes I think that he's just sitting there. He's standing there waiting while we're talking about him when he is right there. Yeah. Oh, that's so good, Guy. Thank you. Thank you. I have a really pretty word picture from last night. We're just a bunch of us threw out some pages, and one of the one of the pillars holding up his house is a big old carving of Jesus, Jesus on the tree. And uh, one of the toddlers ran over to Jesus, ran into him, and was just climbing up onto Jesus and holding Jesus the Jesus the pillar. I mean, we're part of his household. And, yes. and we can hold on to him. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. That is so good, Andrea. Um, you all have spoken such wisdom. Thank you. Thank you. And Guy, you're right, it is a both and and not an either or. Because of Paul's radical relationship with Jesus Christ and the deep intimacy he shared with him. Paul was able to make creedal statements, theological fact points, truth statements, bang, bang, bang. And yet it was about a relationship. So it is a both and, not an either or. You know, in my house, my three daughters are absolutely my daughters. And the intimacy is amazing. But they have to do what mommy says. And that's the rule of my house. <laughs> and when I lay down the law, they've got to do what I say. That's a rule. So it's both and. Uh, when we get emotional, it, things get crazy. Isn't it amazing that America was caught up? It's seemingly from the East Coast to the Left Coast. Um, from the East Coast to the West Coast. That was a joke. 
and that um, it was all about bathrooms and genders until a gorilla got shot. The gorilla was not in the bathroom. I know, and everything changes. Boy, Ed, talk about a pillar that's steady. America's like, oh my gosh, it's this. It's bathrooms. And then, a, and, a, and a gorilla gets shot. And like, oh, forget that one. And now it's over here. And now it's about a gorilla. Oh, that's not right. It's like, where's the pillar? Where's the stability? And by the way, the coolest parents in the world are those that know how to have balance between grace and truth. Right? First John 1. And are just steady. Man, those steady parents are the best. Grace and truth. And how they, how they lead their families, their kids. It's just they're the coolest. They're the pillars. So we're going on too long. Um, we, we need to stop. Thank you for being so gracious. What you say matters. People are going to listen to this podcast. And you're going to be speaking grace and truth into their lives. Thank you so much. Um, but I'm not, I'm not sure what to say right now. Do we have a common confession? Are we saying the same things? Hamalagas? Or are we just kind of all over the map and we just believe whatever you want to believe? It doesn't matter. Just be nice about it. Do you have a common confession? Do you see yourself as a part of the house? I, I trust the Holy Spirit to do His work. So let me pray. Father, thank you so much. That you so love the world, you didn't send another doctrinal book, you didn't send another set of rules, you sent your son. Thank you so much for the way that you love us. And for the gifts, bringing these people to Christ's church, Lord, what a privilege. And I ask that we would all share in the common confession, and that would, we would be unashamed of you, that there is a time to speak up. And to do so under the full power and leadership of the Holy Spirit. There's a time to be quiet. And sometimes we just love. And certainly we love each other. And so prove that we are your disciples. Teach us our responsibilities to be the pillar and the support of the truth. Please. Thank you for Stephen and how you use him to lead us in worship. Teach us now, Lord. Help us to love you. In Jesus' name, amen.